The lobbyists are taking tournaments to court in Michigan. Hi, I'm Philip Blumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the term limits movement for the week of December 2nd, 2019. In a recent episode, we reported on the challenge to Michigan's popular term limits law launched by the top politicians of both legislative houses in that state. Now, the second prong of their attack has been revealed. A group of professional lobbyists have filed suit against the constitutional provision, claiming that the law is unconstitutional. U.S. Term Limits Executive Director Nick Tombolides is with me with more detail and commentary. Hey, Nick. Hello. I want to set the stage for our discussion about this uh, by reading the words of Patrick J. Anderson. He's the CEO of the Anderson Economic Group, and he wrote this in last week's Detroit News. He said, This past week, a group of former legislators, all of whom now work as lobbyists, gathered in another lobbyist's office. Flanked by attorneys they had hired with funds from a source they refused to disclose, they announced they were filing a lawsuit against the state of Michigan and its constitution. These legislators slash lobbyists, all of whom swore an oath to defend the Michigan Constitution, are now asking a federal judge to set it aside. Their rationale is that Michigan's term limits amendment somehow infringes upon their rights as American citizens because it prevents them from running again for an office they have previously held for multiple terms. (laughs) What do you make of that? Well, I love this Patrick Anderson guy. What a great (laughs) human being he is. Um, Yeah. First line of the Michigan Constitution says uh, all political power is inherent in the people, which means this is absolutely a betrayal of their oaths. It's um, kind of like if you can't beat them, sue them. So eight former state legislators, all of whom face term limits, I assume, filed this suit in federal court alleging that their term limits, which were passed by 60 percent of the Michigan voters, are unconstitutional. Um, first of all, my question would be, how dumb do these legislator slash lobbyists think we are? Because I don't know how you could see this as anything other than an end run around the voters. These are sad sacks. They know they wouldn't have a chance at the ballot box. It's so undemocratic. They're telling voters, basically, your thoughts don't matter. Your beliefs don't matter. We, the political elite, knows best for you. And we are going to a court so that a judge can overrule these term limits that you voted for. Right. Not just voted for. Remember, they had to collect 400,000 signatures of voters to even put it on the ballot. This was a citizen's initiative. The people did this. And then the people overwhelmingly voted for this. And now these guys are saying that, contrary to what you just quoted from the Michigan Constitution, that, well, what the people say don't matter. My rights are being violated because I can't run for this office as if it's about them. So now what's going to happen is the taxpayer money is going to be wasted. The state of Michigan's time will be wasted to fight this frivolous lawsuit in federal court, all basically because these grown men are acted like spoiled children. They can't accept the end of their political careers, so they're throwing a little hissy fit about it. That's what really bothers me. I'd go further than that because I don't think they really expect this to work. Like you said, it's frivolous. I mean, how can it be unconstitutional when it is a part of the Constitution? Generally, when you say unconstitutional, you're talking about a law or something that has been passed that contradicts something in the Constitution, but it is explicitly part of the Michigan Constitution. Well, they're making a really radical argument. They're not just trying to strike down the Michigan term limits. If the court ruled in their favor, it would strike down every term limit everywhere in America. 
Uh, 36 governors, 15 state legislatures, nine of the 10 largest cities in America, hundreds of counties and cities and other offices. They would all go down because the radical, insane, crazy, kooky argument in this lawsuit is that all term limits violate the U.S. Constitution, which is Like you mentioned, it's so crazy because term limits are in the Constitution. Term limits were around when the Constitution was written. Term limits were in the first Constitution. Um, And so when the state of Michigan was created, it was created by a term-limited Congress. You know, Ben Franklin wrote term limits into the Constitution of Pennsylvania in 1776, before the Constitution was written. If Ben Franklin were alive today, he'd be out flying his kite in a thunderstorm, and some Michigan legislator would walk up to him and serve him with a lawsuit. Right. The argument is crazy. (laughs) This sounds just like the rationale that Evo Morales used in Bolivia, who was just thrown out of his office after violent protests in the streets because he tried to run for his fourth term when he had term limits, went to the court, made the same argument, got his cronies to overturn the law, passed by the people, by the way, also in, in Bolivia, And when he went and tried to falsify this election, there were violence in the streets and he had to step down. This is the same argument, the same argument that Ava Morales made. He was successful in a crooked Bolivian court, but I do not think that he would be successful in American courts. Yeah, when I first saw this, I said to myself, I've seen this before, but I've uh, I've not seen it in America. This is, like you said, it's usually something third world dictators do to try to keep power. And um, you said something about politicians' rights. I don't think politicians have special rights beyond the rights that we all have as citizens. In fact, I think we have rights in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, to protect us from politicians. So it's the very opposite. Rights are supposed to protect the people from politicians, not protect politicians from the people. Right. I mean, I could claim that I have the right as a voter to vote in August instead of November, for instance. It's totally invented. And it would be a carve-out just for myself, as if I'm more important than everybody else. And that's not the case. We're all equal. We should be treated equal under the law. In November, the National Constitutional Center in Philadelphia held a forum titled, What's Next for American Democracy? The program began with Harvard Law Professor Larry Lessig, author of the new book, They Don't Represent Us, Reclaiming Our Democracy. In his book and in his remarks at the NCC, Lessig charted the way in which the Congress and other institutions of our democratic republic respond to narrow interests rather than to the needs and wishes of our nation's citizenry. In this excerpt, Lessig talks about a potential Article 5 convention. I'm somebody who believes that we've got to amend our Constitution. And I'm realistic enough to know our Congress is not going to propose those amendments. Right? I mean, I'm all for those people on my side running out trying to get people to uh, sign up for petitions to get Congress to propose an amendment to overturn Citizens United, there's precisely zero chance, in my view, that the United States Senate is going to, by a two-thirds majority, propose an amendment to overturn Citizens United. It's just not going to happen. I mean, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. It's just not going to happen. So the framers actually gave us a way around Congress. That's the Article 5 Convention. Indeed, when the amendment provision was proposed, it originally didn't include anything other than Congress proposing the amendment. And George Mason, just before the end of the convention, stood up and said, wait a minute, what if Congress is the problem? And it was a kind of duh moment. Yeah, of course, we need a way to amend the Constitution if if Congress is the problem. And that's who the problem 
is. It is Congress. We have a failed branch in our government. I mean, the president is the president, and the courts are extraordinary compared to what the framers thought. The branch that has failed is Congress. So we have to find a way to fix Congress. The only way they give it us is an Article 5 convention, and I think we should try to use it for that purpose. Okay, Nick, we have some other interesting tournaments news this week. Representative Alice Hastings of Florida is facing a House ethics probe uh, for engaging in a relationship with a subordinate staff member, paying this girlfriend the highest salary amongst his staffers for almost eight years, and she's been on the payroll for 25 now, you know Alcee Hastings. I know Alcee Hastings. He has a long record of both opposition to tournaments and of corruption. Corruption way worse than sticking your girlfriend on the payroll and paying her a lot of money. This guy is a disgraced former federal judge who was impeached by the House and convicted by the Senate <laughs> <laughs> for, for extorting bribes over a case that was in front of him as a federal judge. A bipartisan U.S. Senate threw him out of office, took away his pension, and said that he was an extortionist. And he runs for Congress later, and what happens? He wins and wins and wins. Yeah, we're having a debate right now in this country on impeachment, and we're seeing exactly how hard it is to uh, get somebody impeached. You know, you need overwhelming evidence of corruption, and it's only happened very seldomly in our history. I think like five times for judges, uh, very infrequent. But with Alcee Hastings, I guess the evidence was just so overwhelming that he was taking bribes that the uh, the House and Senate voted for this, overwhelming it. Uh, yeah, two thirds of the Senate have to vote for a conviction. Yeah. <laughs> Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the most corrupt of them all? It might be Alcee Hastings. (laughs) Um, It definitely could be. Florida man Alcee Hastings, $168,000 maximum salary for his girlfriend. Eight years taking in that maximum salary as a deputy district director, which is kind of like you don't really do that much. You get to live in the district, so you don't have to live in D.C. You get to live it up. Once in a while, you might have to make a phone call to a constituent or something, but it's not a very important job within a congressional office. Yeah. And um, Alcee Hastings, <laughs> if he got paid based on how he performs in Congress, he would owe us $50 billion. He has found, <laughs> he has yep. found a clever way here to basically double his salary as a congressman, hire his girlfriend, pay her the same amount. But what's funny is he's always rated one of the least wealthy members of Congress. So despite being as crooked as a a $3 bill, he's still not smart enough to build a little financial empire like the other congressmen have. It really illustrates, too, I think, the gap between a guy like him and you know his average constituents, um, how out of touch he's become, because the average household income in his district is about $42,000. So he's making, I would never use the term earning, he's making 800% of what his constituents are making on average. Yeah. And he complains that it's not enough. I mean, in 2015, there was a guy that ran against him, Jay Bonner, who's a professional land surveyor down here in South Florida. And he ran against him, and actually part of his campaign against him was about tournaments, by the way, because Bonner was a tournaments pledger, a signer, and uh, of course Hastings is very much uh, opposed to the idea. He really took him to task for the fact that Hastings was complaining in 2015 that $174,000, which is how much a congressman earned at that time, was not enough to live in Washington, D.C. Even with his girlfriend's match of about $168,000 extra that is, uh, presumably they're spending together, um, and he can't make ends meet in Washington, D.C., while his constituents are living on 42 grand a year. He was ranked number one 
out of 435 members of the House for paying salaries and fees to family members, according to the group Judicial Watch. In June 2011, another one of his staff members, not the longtime girlfriend, but another staff member, filed a lawsuit alleging he had made unwanted sexual advances and threatened her job when she refused him. So Alcee Hastings is basically running a bordello out of a congressional <laughs> I office. Guess so. so a panel looked into that, and then the Treasury Department just mysteriously paid $220,000 to settle the lawsuit. I think that might have been part of the slush fund that was uncovered uh, wow. last year. Oh, no doubt. So, so folks, if you're not convinced by now that we need term limits, I'm not sure what else we can say or do for you. Yeah. Just Google Alcee Hastings. Right. Following Larry Lessig at the National Constitution Center Forum, U.S. Term Limits Chairman Howie Rich made his case for term limits and specifically the use of an Article 5 convention to achieve them. Howie Rich, you are the leader of the leading organization arguing for term limits reform. You argued an important case before the Supreme Court, and you uh, are in favor of an Article 5 convention to achieve term limits. Tell us why and how you would ensure that the convention would focus on term limits and not on other issues that you might not favor. Okay, initially what we did in our strategy to get term limits is we had a, a strategy in which voters could vote for a term limits amendment to their own state constitution. We got 23 states to do it, tough campaigns and all the rest of it, and the U.S. Supreme Court case, our case, U.S. Terminals versus Thornton, we lost that case five to four in the U.S. Supreme Court in 1995. Our new strategy is utilizing Article 5, the second method for a convention. And term limits, in my view, would be very helpful in terms of the democratic process. We have term limits on 15 state legislatures. And what we've seen is more women, competitive elections, money is more equalized. And Ballotpedia did a uh, study on how many competitive elections were there in 2016. There were 435 House seats, 23 were competitive. That means 6% of seats were competitive the incumbent wins all the rest of them. Come 2018, where we had a wave election, 82 seats were considered competitive by Ballotpedia. 20%, what about the others? In 40 districts, nobody challenges the incumbent. So what you get is a political class and a seniority system. So. We're utilizing this Article 5 route, the second method that George Mason suggested. And the main reason that I favor term limits, and the term limit I favor is a real term limit, three House terms, six years, and two Senate terms, is what we call adverse pre-selection. There are a lot of people in this room who I think would qualify for Congress. And if you think about it, you say, oh, Somebody asked me to run for Congress. Great, let me take a look at it. The reelection rate in the US House of Representatives is 95%. So if you are foolish enough to run for Congress against an incumbent, not much of a chance. But in this particular district, 
we have a chance because the incumbent was indicted or it's an open seat. You know, he left, he retired, okay, for whatever reason. Great, I think I'll run. But when you think about it some more, let's suppose I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm, a, I'm an accountant, I'm an engineer, I'm a business person, I'm an educator. If I win, I run, win, they go through all the scrutiny, and now I win. How does it work? Well, there's a seniority system. It's a top-down system. I'm a successful, I don't know, engineer or whatever I am in life. I'm going to be subservient to seniority. The average committee chair has been in Congress for 23 years. So if I'm going to run, I'm not saying me, but a successful person in life wants to run, why would I run? I'm going to be subservient. It's going to take me a decade or two decades to get anything accomplished. Why would I do that? We call this adverse pre-selection because the best people, on average, don't run. But then, there's this idea of term limits on Congress. And if you had three House terms, the seniority system is out the window. It's now based on merit. You're going to attract more people. You're going to have competitive elections. Money will be equalized. It's something like the incumbent raises and spends a million and a half, the challenger 250,000. So it's a six to one advantage to the incumbent. And of course, the incumbent has all the name ID to start with. Special interest packs, $9 to $1. So it's, it's sort of, it's, it's a rigged system. But in open seats, where you don't have this you know, disparity between a challenger and an incumbent, the average is $600,000. So what, what term limits does, real term limits, it equalizes the system. And the, and the Article 5 approach, to me, I agree with Larry, it's the only way to do it. You're going to get two-thirds of both houses of Congress to term limit themselves without enormous pressure. Give me a break. Let's talk about how term limits would help solve this kind of problem. I mean, look at his district. Representative Alcee Hastings of Florida, impeached and convicted in 1989. He ran for the Congress in 1994, right? So in 1994, until now, he was in the U.S. Congress. Now, here's somebody that was impeached convicted of trying to extort $150,000, right? He ran unopposed over this time in five races. And when he did face opposition, he won with numbers like 80%. 87.9%, 81.6%. The lowest amount that he won by was 73.5% in 1996 as a sophomore congressman. So talk about a broken system. There is no one in this district that feels like it's worth their time and energy to try to win this seat against an incumbent who has been convicted of extortion, who is clearly corrupt and now faces a House probe for paying his longtime girlfriend the maximum staff salary amount. I mean, this is an indictment of the current system like nothing else. Yeah, he won his uh, 2018 general election with 99.9% of the vote. Oh, right. So is that opposed or unopposed, by the way? Well, uh, it was unopposed, but kudos to the 165 people within the district um, who wrote in for somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> the one, <laughs> one-tenth of one percent. Of voters mm -hmm. in Alzey Hastings district voted for somebody else. You're right. At some point, you've got all the name recognition. You've got the congressional clout. You've got the seniority. Um, 
and you're bringing home the bacon, not to mention the well-oiled political machines that incumbent can develop at the local level, and they just become impossible to dislodge. And we're not even talking about getting a Republican in there. A Republican is never going to win this district. It's in deep blue Broward County. But when you have a term limit, you'd get some intra-party competition. You'd get new Democrats rising up who actually have a shot to challenge this guy. And um, hopefully you would get someone a lot less corrupt. Let's face it, the bar for that is very low. At this point, I think any warm body from Broward County would be less corrupt than Alcee Hastings. So let's make it happen. Let's get the open seat. Let's get the competition. As a very practical matter, if there was tournaments in the U.S. Congress and his tournament was up, there would be an open seat election and several people, movers and shakers from the district, would run for the seat. There is no question about it. Tournaments work. Here's the deal. If we had term limits on congressional girlfriends who are also staffers, <laughs> Alcee Hastings' mistress would have had to leave office five years ago. That's right. <laughs> God, he's such a crook. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No Uncertain Terms. We cannot let the Politicians Not Voters Coalition succeed in overturning the citizens' will in Michigan. If you live in Michigan, please go to the Save Michigan's Term Limits Action page at termlimits.com forward slash Michigan and send a message to your legislators right now. Tell them to keep their hands off Michigan's term limits. Also, please forward this link to other Michiganders you know. You can also find the Michigan Action page under the Current Actions tab at termlimits.com. We have to get ahead of this. Thanks for your help. We'll be back next week. The revolution isn't being televised. Fortunately, you have the No Uncertain Terms podcast. U-S-T-L.